No KD, no Kyrie, no problem. The Nets still have Nicholas Claxton balling, Blake Griffin Duncan, and oh yeah, James Harden. Brooklyn is getting it done, but should they add another player before the deadline Thursday? We'll ask the post-Nets beat writer, Brian Lewis. We'll also chat with a guy who used to make trades for the Nets. It's former team president, basketball Hall of Famer, Rod Thorne. So get your popcorn ready. It's a busy trade deadline edition of Full Court on Flatbush from the New York Post. The next stop is Barclays Center. Full Court on Flatbush. Flatbush Avenue. It's the podcast. A New York Post. BK. More stars in the sky. The three. Welcome to Full Court on Flatbush. I'm your host, Robin Lundberg, alongside my co-host, former net number 30, Carrie Kittles. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts, but if you use an Apple, give us a five-star rating, write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. New episodes drop every Wednesday afternoon. You can follow us on Twitter at Robin Lundberg and at Kerry underscore Kittles 30. Former Nets team president Rod Thorne will join us later in the show, along with Nets beat writer Brian Lewis. But Kerry, first, I want to point out, um, I did say that Blake Griffin's first basket with the Nets was going to be a dunk shot. Yes, you did. And I immediately tweeted it when I was watching the game and I saw him drive down the lane and put it in. I was like, my co-host hit it on the on the nail there. And uh, as far as Blake Griffin, he's been exciting to see play for the team. I think he's been impressive defensively. You know, he, he's been rotating well, getting in the, in the right spots and, and that sort of thing. But he's not the big man that has drawn attention as of late. I believe that to be one young Nicholas Claxton. <laughs> who has really, you know, he's become a thing for, for Nets fans. I, I And you see why, right? When he's out on the court, there's just an energy. There's a bounce that he has. He can run the floor. He can obviously finish the lobs. But speaking of the, the defensive end, the way he can switch and, and go out onto anybody. I mean, he was clamping down on Damian Lillard uh, against Portland. So the, the, the potential for him, you know, it, it's always nice when you have somebody that comes up in the system, especially when you're a, a team that, that put together all these guys. And, and I see Claxton, the, the potential is really, really high. And in fact, I think his ceiling is higher than Jared Allen's. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, when you mentioned him before, when he was injured and, and was working his way back into playing, you know, I thought you loved his hair more than you liked the fro. <laughs> and not necessarily his game, but his game is starting to speak volumes for itself. He's definitely a standout player for the Nets. I mean, they're very fortunate to have those young, lively legs. And as you mentioned, the lateral movement and being able to contain some of these quicker guards and some of these switches, it's not an easy blow-by. I mean, he knows how to gap guys. He knows how to use his length and be there in case they pull up in his face. So, um, yeah, he's he's definitely going to help this team. And, I, you know, he's he's been closing games for them because of his youth and, and liveliness. I don't think DeAndre can do that for them at this point. Claxton seems to give them more in, in late in the games. And, you know, complimenting with, with Blake Griffin's ability to play as he work his legs back into playing shape, we will see Claxton out there, and he's going to be an integral part of what they're going to do closing the season. Well, DeAndre Jordan, I'm not so sure he should be starting anymore. Like, I think um, DeAndre brings something to the team. 
you know, as a veteran presence and, and in specific matchups. But you look at the plus minus, it's way in, in, in Claxton's favor. And you just look up, and we've had this discussion before, Kerry, the makeup and the identity of this team. You know, they can't lean into that with, with Jordan on the floor because he has to play drop coverage. He can't be, be switching uh, like the, they, they tend to do to the, the same degree. And the big man rotation for me is Claxton, Blake Griffin, and Jeff Green. Yes, I like that as well. And, and listen, we've seen this before when, when DeAndre had his moments where he wasn't playing well. Steve Nash jumping down his throat, you know, James Harden pulling him over to the side, having a word with him. There will be pressure on DeAndre now that Claxton is emerging to perform when you're out there. So if you're going to start the game, guess what? You got to be ready to play. You can't come in the game like sleepwalking. So even though he's a vet, he's been around the block, there will be added pressure to DeAndre to perform. And those expectations are definitely going to rise when you have a teammate that is contributing the way Claxton is contributing right now. And you mentioned him closing games. So I think it may be a matter of time, perhaps, before he's starting them. Now, James Harden continues to be just the the story. I mean, this guy's unbelievable. And, And uh, the MVP debate it has been going on like crazy this year. I, I think LeBron was the clear favorite. We're going to see his value on display as he's out here, but he may miss too much time. And, and so now I think you're looking at probably Nikola Jokic and Harden. And, and Kerry, if, if I'm making the case for James Harden, I look at what happened to the Rockets and what has happened to the Nets, right? The Rockets, you know, other things have happened. They lost their coach, their their general manager. Christian Wood was hurt. You have to say all that. Russell Westbrook. But they lost 20 straight games. That was the only franchise in the NBA that made the playoffs every single season while James Harden was there. Every other team missed it at some point during that span. Harden comes to the Nets. You know, it it continues to blow my mind that he felt almost like a luxury and he's become a a necessity. They're now 23-7. and with him in the lineup. And that's not a result of him having superstar teammates. They've won 16 of the last 18 games. All of those coming, all but one coming without Kevin Durant and a few without Kyrie Irving. He's out there every single night playing hurt, playing big minutes, leads the NBA in minutes, leads the NBA in assists. I mean, what else can you say about his value, that keyword value? Yes, that value is there. I don't think anyone expected James Harden to do what he's done since he came to the Nets, we knew he was a great scorer and ISO situations where you just really have a hard time containing him. And when he drives to the basket, right, he's going to draw fouls or he's going to get you with one of those little floaters up there where it's just soft and it dead and it just drops in. So, but his playmaking ability and his, you know, and how he's made everyone better around him, doesn't matter who's on the court with him. You can put out there Kyrie Irving, as long as he's got Harris out there and a couple of wings, he just makes the game and, and a big that can dive to the basket, whether it's Claxton or whether it's Bruce Brown diving in there. He will make the game easy for you because of his ability to score naturally and his willingness to pass, his court vision. I don't think it's a debate right now that he is the MVP. Giannis is probably second, in my opinion, over Jokic because Giannis is just how he controls the game and what he does and how he dominates on a night of night basis. But with, with yes, with LeBron being injured, with Embiid being injured, this is his MVP year, I think, for the Nets. And I, I'm just happy that he's in our uniform. All right, guys, trade deadline Thursday. The Nets, I mean, we could talk about it every week. There's a new hero. There's guys balling. They're beating everyone. They beat Portland. No KD, no Kyrie, no problem. But do they need to add someone? I, I think they have nothing left to trade, so I don't know if the trade deadline would be the right question, but maybe the buyout market. Is this roster set as is? Well, Dinwiddie, they can trade. I mean, I think he has some value, and the team that brings him in would keep his bird rights. You know, that, that would be an incentive to trading for him. They have some exceptions. If you're looking at a, at a need carry, I would say 
this is not a team. I, I, I think they're the overwhelming favorites. I expect them to win the NBA championship and, and perhaps be one of the greatest teams of all time. But um, if, if, you know, you're getting greedy, I would notice say how he win. smiles when he says he <laughs> loves saying that Robin loves continuing to emphasize that. I love it, but I love, I love how you make it a point every show that that oh, is the case. I mean, it's what it is. <laughs> uh, a wing defender would be that it's not as much a big for me again, because of the way I like the way they play. I, I think a wing defender would be the extra icing on the cake here. I don't know. I don't. I maybe disagree with that. I think they're fine in the wings. I think Harden can. Know, he knows how to body guys up when they drive on them. You know, KD's back in the lineup with his length. They're they're fine on the wing. I would say you need a big body because the threats in the East to get to the finals, you have to possibly go through Embiid and Ben Simmons, or you're gonna have to go through Giannis and and Brooke Lopez. So I would say another big body to maybe use some fouls, a little bit more physical presence. It's probably, you know, if you could get Drummond in the buyout market, I think that's the move. As far as a trade, maybe some picks in the future, is, you know, for Dinwiddie's contract, maybe that's what I would consider. But buyout market, Drummond, yes, as a big, but the wings, I think they're fine. Robin, I can't, after he keeps saying body, I, with the Grammys last week, I can't not think of Megan the Stallion and body, yaddy, 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 yaddy. Your mind is all about the rap yeah. music and the rap contest against <laughs> Uh, uh, that's not about rap music, I don't think so much. I don't think it's about the music quite as much. There will be the, no the, twerking on full court on flappers. That's yeah, the vi visual accompaniment. Uh, but, the, the you know, the trade deadline, Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time, the Nets' upcoming schedule. They got the, the Jazz tonight, Wednesday night, at the Pistons on Friday and against the Timberwolves on Monday. I'm assuming Kyrie Irving will be back for, for that at some point. Um, well, I am having a baby in a couple weeks. Maybe I'll... I'll be out for personal reasons do you have any <laughs> names is is Kyrie in the in the name cards is Carrie in the name cards uh no neither, neither. <laughs> I, I don't know we don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl this is the first time I think I've talked about it publicly um and breaking news uh, into the woes bomb woes yeah. bomb <laughs> yes yeah, so everyone uh, TMC's at the door now um <laughs> and uh as far as the names uh, I'll I'll let you know when he or she is here coming up we've got Rob Thorne an NBA lifer and a former executive for the Nets, as well as Brian Lewis, the beat writer for the Nets from the New York Post. We're joined now by a basketball lifer, former Nets team president, 2001-2002 executive of the year, 2018 Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, amongst a litany of other accomplishments, it's Rod Thorne. And, and, and Rod, you know, great timing to have you on today, given that the trade deadline is approaching. Can you take us inside what is actually going on in, in a front office as the deadline approaches? Surely. Uh, a lot of extraneous uh, phone calls are being made. Most of them uh, will not come to fruition. But this is, you know, one of the, one of the times during the year that uh, – Virtually every team is talking to every other team, and guys' uh, lives are being put out on the line, uh, you know, in possible trades. But again, uh, most of it is, uh, you know, just chit-chat and doesn't really come to anything. But uh, it appears this year that uh, there are several teams that are really interested in accomplishing uh, something to try to help their team get better for the stretch run. You mentioned um, how it, it impacts people's lives. You know, there are names that are thrown out there all the time. For, for the Nets, it's Spencer Dinwiddie, right? Because of his, his status right now, he's been hurt. You know, it, his contract situation coming up. 
how do you manage that aspect of it? Do you, do you stay in communication at all? Or do you tell guys that, you know, things are going on or, or keep it quiet? Well, you know, for the most part, you try to keep it quiet. I, I think it's changed some in today's uh, world because, you know, players have so much more leverage uh, today than they did, say, in 2001, 2002. And during that uh, era, uh, I think that, GM tend to have more conversations with players about the, the possibility that they may be traded. You know, back in my day, uh, I think players understood that uh, there was a possibility that uh, virtually anybody could be traded. Some of the best players in the history of the league have been traded. And today it's more, uh, you know, I think if a player and or an agent, you know, calls a GM or president of a team, whoever's you know running that part of it, they will probably tell them if they there's a possibility that they'll be traded. Rod, it's Kerry here. When you when you're looking at at the Nets, though, you know this is their last chance, right? They they made some additions, to, you know, since the beginning of the season, bringing in Harden and, and getting rid of some young talent. Obviously, the more recent addition with with Blake Griffin. Do you think this is it for the Nets? Do you think they need to try to do something before this deadline comes? Or do you think they have what it takes? to get to the uh, NBA Finals and perhaps win a championship? Well, Kelly, I, I think that the uh, net great chance, you know, as they are constituted, if uh, Kevin Durant uh, is healthy, they have, you know, two of the top five players in the league in Harden and Durant. Irving is, you know, in the next 10 guys, you know, you'd have to say that he's in that group. So nobody, no one else has three players in the, let's say, the top 15 players in the league. So I, I think they have a great chance. Offensively, they're fantastic. They've gotten much better defensively the course of the last uh, month. Could they use maybe uh, one more big? You know, you hear a lot of uh, speculation that there's a possibility they uh, might have some interest in Drummond, who I would assume will be playing elsewhere come Friday. He certainly, uh, you know, could be a player that might be able to help them. You know, you've heard Dim Dimwitty's name, as you mentioned before. Uh, he's a very good player who just happens to be injured at the, at the present time. I, I don't know if they are going to, to trade him in some trade, but uh, he, he certainly would be a player, uh, if healthy, that a lot of teams would have an interest in because he is a very good player. But but the Nets, uh, the Harden addition, you know, to go with those other two guys and Harden playing the way he has played this year. I mean, Harden has proven that he can play any way you want him to play and be effective. I think he's still leading the league in assists, you know, at this time, and he has proven to be a great, great player. Yes, he has. And we've been uh, really excited with what he's been doing lately. I, w I want to take you back, Rod, your years of working in the league office with, with David Stern in particular. Take us back to some of those early conversations you were having with, with that senior executive group, thinking about maybe trying to do some rule changes, right? Change how the game is, was played, you know, leaving from a more physical, you know, holding, grabbing, really inside presence game to and more free-flowing game where there's going to be more space on the court. You know, what were some of those conversations like? What was the goal you guys had in mind as you were thinking about trying to change the game from a rules perspective? You know, Kerry, uh, uh, you, you, you've hit on a, you know, a very cogent part of, of what transpired, uh, particularly uh, the late uh, 90s when the league uh, had become such a 
physical league that uh, it was almost impossible to move out on the court. With the hand checking, with the chucking of players as they tried to cut through, uh, with the with the, just the overall uh, physicality of the game had gotten to a point that strength and toughness had become as important as skill. And the game was slowing down. It was uh, almost a total half-court game, if you'll recall, Kerry, in those days. And from the league's perspective, you know, we're looking at having the best athletes in the world, you know, play NBA basketball, uh, by and large. And if you aren't going to give your your talented players uh, an opportunity to show that that great skill that they have because of the physicality, then your game is not going to be as popular as you would like it to be, and therefore uh, you're limited to your growth. So in the late 90s, we started initiating implements to the game that made the game less physical. And uh, some would say, uh, Kerry, uh, that today maybe it's not physical enough, you know, because it's the hand checking is totally out, and you know now uh, there there are a lot more fouls called, particularly out you know with the wing players, not not as much uh, you know with the inside players, but with the wing players, you know there are a lot more fouls called. It's a much more free flowing game, and and when you look at the game today, uh, vis a vis uh, late nineties, uh, you know even the early two thousands, a lot more scoring. A lot better shooting overall. More three pointers, obviously taken. It, it's just a much, much different game. It's you know I, I laugh when I see uh, trying to compare uh, even players in the late '90s and players today because the game is so different. I think the guys who were good players in the late '90s would still be very good players, you know, today. But you know the fans seem to like the game. Uh, that we have today. And uh, uh, to me personally, I think had we kept going down the road we were going, that, that it would have been the wrong road to go down. We need to clean up the physicality of the game. And, and the league, uh, you know, obviously led by Commissioner Stern, uh, I remember him telling me, we've, we've got to do something. So you better come up with something. <laughs> you know, back in those 90s. I know not to ask you about the the talent in the league today compared to the dream team now because you were part of the putting together the dream team. I, I do want to ask you something about that co- coming up in a second. But uh, Rod, I, I always like when somebody has a connection with Kerry to see if I can make him feel awkward. So, um, <laughs> given what you did with the Nets, and, and you know you did so much throughout your career, including drafting Michael Jordan. If I were you, that's how I'd introduce myself. Hello, Rod Thorne, drafted <laughs> Michael Jordan. Um, wh- where do you compare? that Nets team, putting that together and, and presiding over that to the, the rest of your career? You know, it, it was the highlight. Uh, you know, there, there's no doubt about it. it. It was the highlight. You know, when I first went with the Nets in 2000, we had some talent on our team, but it didn't, it didn't mesh. It didn't go together correctly, you know, if you will. We were a poor rebounding team. We were a poor defense team but more than those two things we were a poor chemistry team and when we ended up at the end of that year there were a lot of things that happened number one Jason kid in a trade and Jason helped us defensively 
helped us rebounding-wise, but most importantly, helped us chemistry-wise because he was a pass-first guy. And uh, but but not only did we get Jason, but we got Kerry back. You know, Kerry had missed a year with uh, you know with knee problems, and Kerry back was a major plus for us because Kerry fits so well with Jason. You know, Kerry Kerry could shoot the ball. We needed shooting on that team. We weren't a great shooting team. He could shoot the ball. He could he could finish on the break, and Jason loved to. You know, Jason were on the break, and Kerry was one of the guys. He, he would try to get the ball to Kerry because he knew he could finish. So, uh, you know, we got Kerry back. So that was like getting a very high first-round draft pick. We signed Todd McCullough, who became a very good offensive player for us at center uh, and was a wonderful teammate. And then, you know, we traded um, Griffin, who was a great talent, and we got Richard Jefferson, and we got Jason Collins, and we ended up with uh, Brandon Armstrong. Now, there's a story behind Brandon Armstrong. That could have been one of the great trades ever. If I had rated Brandon Armstrong, number one, we were we were looking for a guard, A.D. Rowe, number two, and Jeff Trapanier, number three. And so all three of those guys were there, and we ended up, t- up taking Brandon Armstrong. Now, had I been smart and had Gilbert Arenas uh, you know, as my number one pick, we would have gotten him. And, uh, uh, you know, he was such a great, great talent that I'm sure he could, we would have fit him in somewhere there. But all of those different things went into, uh, you know, our team going from a 26-win team uh, one year to a 52-win team uh, the next year. And uh, we just had a terrific team. Yeah, You know, we... We, we and we were fun. We were a fun team, you know. We went and here's the other thing: we were terrible defensive, as I pointed out uh, my first there. And we went from 25th in the league rated defensively to first, you know, overnight. So that uh, that that tells you something about the team. But Harry could tell you it was a team where people got along. It was a team where people respected one another, and it was a team where virtually everybody on our team would fight for this and that's what you're looking for and uh, we had it on that team that team was a terrific team well rod it's jake here we'll let it slide that you didn't take gilbert arenas you did so many other good things you know drafting jordan you you formed you were part of the guys that formed the dream team of 92 as well which was major and uh you know jason kidd that team the 2001 carries team got me into the nets i was mostly a knicks guy but when kid came here that team was so fun i started going with my dad to the swamps and we had a little we had a ticket package and we went to some games so that reeled me in and you know can you take us through the mind of one that trade because when you look back on it it's a steal it was it was kid from marbury johnny newman and somalia samake so on paper that looks like a steal and then the trade when you guys give them away you guys got a huge package in return but would love to hear your you know aspect of of getting him and then trading him away in 2008 and what went through that decision well you know i had been uh, you know through my um, duties for the, uh, nba when i worked for the nba i had been with the team that was qualifying for the olympics in puerto rico and jason kidd was part of that team so you know we were there for uh, close to we were there it became very evident to me that and kid not only was a terrific player but he was the leader of the group people just wanted to play with Jason Kidd 
because he passed first, he played defense, he was all about winning, and I became a huge Jason Kidd fan from that particular team. So at the end of the five, of the first year, which was next year uh, in in uh, Jersey, Kidd had had some problems in Phoenix, off you know some off the court stuff that. They were, you know, all of a sudden you heard his name being bandied about as my trade him. So in Chicago camp, you know, where every year the college kids come and work out, I had had a conversation with Brian Colangelo, who was uh, the GM of the of the Suns, regarding the, you know, we might have an interest in Jason Kidd, and you know, is there anything that, you know, you, you might have an interest in, and. About a month later, uh, he came. You know, he came back and he said, "We have an interest in uh, Stefan Marbury, and uh, but we here's the deal we'd like to do. We need two first round draft picks. We want Stefan and we want Aaron Williams." And I said, "Well, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, Marbury's 22 years old. He's an all star, and we, we would have no interest in that." And he said, "Well, that's what I want," and hung up. So, you know, a couple of weeks later, I get another call from him and he said, well, here's what we'll do. We want uh, Stefan and we want uh, uh, you give us one first round draft pick and Aaron Witt. I said, I'm not going to do that. And a couple of weeks, a couple more weeks go by and I get a call from his dad, Jerry, who, who you know, obviously ran the team. And Jerry said, what kind of deal you want to make? And I said, well, you know, it's a head. It's, it should be a up deal. You know, we'll basically give you Jason for, uh, you know, for or Wilson and give you uh, Stefan. And the, to make the deal work, other guys wanted to, you know, to make it work financially. And that's, that's the deal that we ended up making there. But, you know, my feeling was that they were going to trade him and they're not going to get a better player than, than Stefan for him. So uh, we, we ended up, uh, you know, making, uh, making that deal that way. <laughs> And the rest is history. That's what they say, Rod. The rest is history. You guys make two finals, and uh, history is made. Pretty incredible. Speaking of history, I was going to say, uh, Rod, uh, there's you know always certain things that that guys have been asked about so many times over the years. So I, I apologize in in advance, but the Michael Jordan Isaiah Thomas dream team story. You know, Jack McCallum played some audio that said you know it was allegedly Michael Jordan saying that he called you about Isaiah Thomas's place on the team. Jordan's denied mentioning him by name. You've talked about this so many times in the past. Are you surprised that that still has life and, and has taken on the, the life as it has since then, the, the whole Michael Jordan not wanting Isaiah Thomas on, on the Dream Team thing? It was obviously uh, talked about, you know, when the team was uh, was picked. Uh, you know, there were several guys, and Isaiah being prominent among those who certainly could have made it but didn't. And I think that with the, you know, with the last dance, you know, coming out this past year, I think it, uh, uh, you know, and and some of the uh, sequences in that where Michael made it clear that he was not a big fan of Isaiah. And then Isaiah, you know, everybody's interviewing Isaiah and Isaiah saying he's not, he's not a very big fan of Michael George either. So I think that brought it back into, uh, you know, into prominence. You know, at the time, Michael never said personally to me that he wouldn't play if uh, any, if any player, including Isaiah, uh, 
uh, were not on this team. He never said that to me. Now, you know, you'd have to ask him if, if he felt that way, uh, but he didn't say it to me. It was, uh, you know, it was it was not an issue, re, you know, regarding the team. You know, the team was picked. Uh, you know, Chuck, the late Chuck Daly, who was the coach, had, uh, you know, had some input into it. And, uh, you know, obviously the NBA, had had a lot of input into it, and uh, and we ended up with uh, you know, our point guards were Magic and John Stockton. You know, obviously, are two of the greatest of all time, as was Isaiah. And I actually spoke with Isaiah Thomas about that, and he basically said it's politics when he said why were we left off the roster. He said it's politics, which I think translates uh, to uh, Michael was not the biggest fan of him. Last question for you. Uh, we really appreciate it. We have to have Rod back on, guys. I mean, th- you are a basketball lifer. I mean, we could talk to you for days. I mean, you might you might as well be hosting this podcast. What have you done for the Nets organization, Rod? Um, last one, just a quick answer is, you know, was there a move that you did not do or that you did that you regret in your time with the Nets? Was there something that you could have done, you know, that might have propelled the team over the top? Obviously, the Spurs series, you guys came so close, making the finals two straight years, but is there something off the top of your head, a trade that uh, you didn't do or that you should have done? <laughs> there were there were several. Trading Jason was, you know, when we... He, he basically forced to trade him. As, as today, players do it all the time. You know, he was in the forefront of that. I've always said, that if a player wants to be traded badly enough and he's willing to not care about his image, he'll get traded. Now, today, he'll get traded where he wants to go. In 2001, he gets traded where you where you want to trade him, but he'll get traded. And uh, when Jason uh, determined that the Nets were not, in his opinion, trying to win the championship, did not want to be there. He actually wanted to go to the Lakers. I had tried to make a deal with Mitch Kupchak, who was running the at the time, we were insisting on Bynum, and they would not give us Bynum, so we could not make a trade with them. You know, we looked at a lot of different different names on that team, but we couldn't make a trade, and we ended up, you know, sending him to uh, Dallas, where he ended up winning a championship. That, that was a tough time for me personally, because I had a good relationship with Jason, and uh, we still had a pretty good team, but it wasn't near, it wasn't good enough to to, uh, to be championship type contender. But that was a tough one. You know, Vince Carter, we, we ended up getting him. And I, I still think had Richard Jefferson not gotten hurt, not broken his wrist, and missed a big part of the season after we got Carter, that we would have had a terrific chance that year. Then we go into the playoffs and win the first game with uh, Miami when they had Wade and, uh, and Shaq. We win the first game with them, and I get a call the next day from the league office telling me that Cliff Robinson has failed to drug test and he won't be playing with us anymore. Cliff was a very good player for us. You know, we ended up losing to Miami, but, but if Richard had not gotten hurt that year, I think we would have had a heck of a chance that year. As you did, um, you know, a player forcing a trade was once bad for the Nets, and now it has turned out excellent for <laughs> the Brooklyn Nets with James Harden. <laughs> Rod Thorne, we, we really appreciate your time, your insight, and, you know, your history uh, with, with not only the Nets, but the game of basketball. Well, I, I appreciate it. You know, as, as I alluded to earlier, Kerry's one of my favorite people. You know, not only player, but one of my favorite people and what he's, you know, gone on to do in his life, you know, going back to Villanova and, you know, getting advanced degree, you know, says a lot about him, you know, as a person. And, 
Wish nothing, nothing but the best for Car- for Carrie Kettle. He's a great guy. Well, he's blushing right now for you, Rod. He's blushing through the screen. We're watching. Him. True. <laughs> Thanks, Rod. It's absolutely it. true. He can hit a golf ball a mile. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we got to see that, Carrie. All right. Thanks, Rod. Oh we, my goodness. We appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you uh, down the road this season, hopefully. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. We're joined now by Nets beat writer for us here at the New York Post. Of course, it is Brian Lewis. And Brian, obviously busy time around the, the Nets with the, the trade deadline. But when you're talking about the players that are in-house right now, Kerry and I discussed this a little bit earlier. The, the play of the, the front court rotation and the minutes and how they're distributed, that's going to interest me as, as the season goes along with Blake Griffin in the mix and how well Nick Claxton has been playing. Do you see a situation where Claxton does take over in the starting lineup for DeAndre Jordan, or or they change, you know, th- that starting lineup in some fashion? I mean, the minutes sure seem to be trending that way. Frankly, I mean, I, I would think that the only reason DJ is starting now is because of popularity in that locker room and how well his, you know, his track record, his resume, and the people that he knows well in there, and the trust that Steve would have that DJ knows what he's doing and where he should be. But the minutes are trending that Nick has to play more Nick basically closes every game, so it seems to be trending that way toward him eventually starting games. Is there any other moves you think that that the team should make? I think you're always greedy. You always want more, right? I mean, at what point does a team ever say, yeah, I I got enough. I don't want any more. What I would say is this. I would say, since you pointed out the way Nick is trending straight up, uh, Blake just got here like five minutes ago. And he's still, he's clearly going to be trending up. I think maybe the priority may have changed from another mobile big to the priority being a wing defender. I don't know that I would put what little pittance is in my wallet on a big incoming trade. I think by the deadline, by Thursday, you might see something outgoing. I think that's more likely, whether that's, you know, whether that's Spencer or whether that's, you know, I don't know, trading TLC for a second round pick or something like that. I think that's more likely. I think the buyout market is probably more where you're going to see a significant player come in. Now, I could be wrong, but I think that's, if you're looking for a significant addition, that probably would come more from the buyout market over the two weeks following the trade deadline. Do you think that Spencer Dinwiddie's going to be traded? I mean, that's, I hate to straddle the fence, but I mean, I do think that's like a 50-50. I think that depends on what you can get for him. Now, I'm not in any way implying that, you know, Joe Sy is going broke because he's richer than just about any human on the planet for the most part. Um, But when you look at the stock, when you look at what, and I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds here, though. But I mean, when you look at the drama that's going on in China and what that's done to their stock, and then you look at how much money Joe Sy is going to be on the hook for, when it comes to luxury tax, it's not egregious to think that, okay, Spencer's not playing. What are we going to, you know, if I can trade him for a player that's either lower salary, you know, will be off the books next year, but could help me this year win a championship. I think that's a reasonable thing. I think that's a reasonable move to think that an owner might make. Brian, we had this discussion last week. Um, you know, with our guests, you know, as far as the, the Nets having all the pieces in place for this to be a championship or bust season, right? We've now have a, a pretty good sample size of seeing 
all that James Harden could do on the court and how he impacts the team. And now, you know, probably leading the MVP race, you know, heading into this, le- this last stretch of the season. What are your thoughts on that? Is this, you know, everything being equal? You know, all these guys are healthy in the lineup. We know what KD does as far as getting buckets, you know, in closing games. The same with Kyrie. And now the addition of these emerging bigs and, and figuring that piece out. Is this a championship or a bust season for the Nets heading down the stretch? You got to tell me if everybody's healthy. Yes, if they're healthy. Everybody for the Nets is healthy and everybody for the Lakers is healthy? Yes, yes. Doesn't matter. Everybody from the Nets healthy. That's all I care about. <laughs> I mean, listen, if I see a healthy Nets team lose to a healthy Laker team in seven, I can't sit here and rip that and think that's a hideous season. But yeah, I think if everything breaks right for the Nets at their best, yes, I think they can beat the Lakers. If everything breaks right and everybody's on the court and whatever, maybe it won't be 100%, but 95% in the finals, yes. I think that's I think that's a reasonable expectation for this team. I think their high end, their highest end is that good. So if the Nets are healthy and they lose to the Sixers or they lose to Milwaukee, you know, and not make it to the finals, you would consider that a bust? I would consider that disappointing if you're telling me KD and Kyrie and James are all healthy and they lose to the Milwaukee Bucks, I would consider that disappointing. And having to pay that luxury tax on that. <laughs> it's going to be a hefty luxury tax. <laughs> well, you'd consider it disappointing because it would be disappointing. Uh, two of those guys, <laughs> really quickly. Um, KD, what's the, the status there? Is his return imminent? Well, it depends on what you call an imminent. I would, expect it, I would expect another week or two. I'm not necessarily sure that I buy all these conspiracy theories that I see out there. Oh, well, if he's missed this much time, it has to be something more serious, a terrible rupture. I mean, you know, everybody here that's strained a hamstring knows that any hamstring strain is tricky and they take a while. And doctors that I've talked to, specialists that I've talked to would say, yeah, anytime I am treating an athlete and he's got a significant strain, I'm telling him six weeks, maybe three months, but definitely six weeks. And that's what you'd be looking at. You know, another week or two would put you at six weeks. So I think he's on pace for that. And then Kyrie Irving uh, out for a personal matter on on the road trip. People have speculated what that might be. To me, this one, you know, we we knew in advance. We know the timeline. Doesn't really bother me. It's three games. But is there any talk about it internally or is it business as usual? Not that I've heard. Business as usual. And frankly, when you say... People look and say, oh, is this is this going to disrupt team chemistry going forward and this and that and the other thing? Listen, whenever KD comes back, you're going to have to reassess and put your rotations back together anyway. So you're not going to have a full team until KD's back anyway. So I'm not overly worried about Kyrie. What I would say is this, going back to your earlier comments about James Harden and being in an MVP race, I think there's a value to availability. I'm not sure what brilliant philosopher said availability is <laughs> the best ability. But, you know, when I asked him just last night, hey, listen, if Kyrie and KD were here and balling out, would you have taken off? And he says, that's a good question, but I just love to hoop. If I can get out there, I'm going to get out there because I think my team has a better chance of winning with me out there. Well, there's a value to that as a player. That's why, I mean, there are many reasons you would respect LeBron James, but that's one thing that LeBron has. That's something that Dame Lillard has, and that's something that James Harden has. That's another reason why he's the top of the MVP race to me. 
You know, you talked about the rotations. You know, let's have a conversation about Steve Nash and the staff and what they've been able to do with these lineup changes and and these role players, in particular the wings, right? And how do you manage the minutes when you have KD and, and, and now Kyrie out? Do you have to put in there Bruce Brown more minutes, give or take, integrating Jeff Green back into the lineup? Also, TLC, now you're seeing Johnson playing more minutes. Let's just talk about how Steve Nash and his staff have been able to manage those wings to give James Harden, you know, an outlet to make to have 17 assists on the road <laughs> in, in Portland. So far, he's done a good job managing these rotations. I mean, they I'd have to check and see if this is still the case, but not that long ago, they had they had had the most different starting lineups in the NBA. Uh, Nash has had guys going in and out of the lineup, in and out of the rotation, because Johnson wasn't in the rotation at the beginning of the year, couldn't buy minutes. And now he's having his most efficient season, not by volume, but most efficient season. Uh, he's done a good job managing these, and he's going to have to continue to do this because clearly guys are going to be going in and out of the rotation. And I do think by you know two weeks from now, your rotations are going to look entirely different, uh, whether that's guys outgoing, whether that's guys incoming. So, I mean, this is going to be an ongoing thing, I think. And Steve, he's learning on the fly as a coach, but so far he has done a good job processing and how to do that. I agree. He's done a good job. Wasn't dealt the worst hand. That's fair. <laughs> Brian Lewis covers the Nets for the New York Post here at the New York Post, of course. You can follow him on Twitter, NYPost underscore Lewis, and read his stories in the post at nypost.com. Brian, appreciate the time. Oh, anytime, fellas. Thanks for having me. The next stop is Barclays Center. Flatbush Avenue. That's it for episode 14, the Sean Livingston edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and the new guy, Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Subscribe to Full Court on Flatbush wherever you get podcasts. But give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review on Apple Podcasts, would you? For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Lundberg. We're back next Wednesday. Stay safe. Stay warm. It's getting warmer outside. Stay healthy. And thanks for listening to Full Court on Flatbush. Let's go next.